Hi there, you've reached Vernon First Baptist Church. And my name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here. Today in our Advent Christmas series, we come up to the day after Christmas. And so this is our first Sunday of celebrating the true Christmas season. Up until now, it's been anticipation and Advent. And we are going to look at how Simeon and Anna celebrate the, the birth of Jesus when they get to see him, God's promises being fulfilled and their trust and faith in him. So the other pastor here at, at FBC, Lori McKay, is going to lead us in this scripture reading and then preach. He's got some some challenges for us as we finish off this year. So be blessed by my friend Lori. Okay, let's read our passage this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. There we go. You, you can click to that, yeah. <laughs> I keep forgetting I've got that little gizmo. Okay, starting to read at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet. Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. The word of the Lord. Yeah, I'll make sure I get the right one. There we go. Yeah. So today is going to be a bit of an exam. Okay. You thought you were on holidays, but you're not. Fortunately, it's an open book exam. But very, but unfortunately, very few of the answers are actually in the book. 
So first question, how old was Simeon? Luke doesn't tell us. Actually, he could have been young. He could have been middle-aged or even a teenager. You think so? No. But what do these labels mean anyway? Well, the World Health Organization has done some research and they've updated their definition of age based on improved health quality, life expectancy. So if you're zero to 17, and I think there's a few up here, you're called uh, underage. If you're 18 to 65, you're youth or young people. Hey. So you should be going in with, with Tanner to his class, right? <laughs> if you're 66 to 79, you're middle-aged. Ooh, does that not make you feel younger? Hey, 80 to 99, you finally get to be a senior or elderly. And of course, 100 plus, hey, you're long-lived elderly. Anyway, we don't know how old Simeon was. We have more or less an exact age for Hannah. She's 84, or some translations say she lived for 84 years after she became a widow. So, but Simeon, no idea. Almost all of the art pictures that I found, supposedly of Simeon, show him as an old man with a white beard, right? So the, the picture I've, that's on the front of the bulletin is the youngest Simeon I could find. <laughs> and he's not very young. But anyway, whatever he is, we, we don't know. But you know what? Most people think that he was really old and almost dead because, because as soon as he saw Jesus, he was going to go home and die, right? No. Well, I can see him saying it. Phew, finally, the long week's over. I'm just going to go crawl into my coffin and die. So question, how many of you think that you are the same age as Simeon? Hmm. How many do you think you are older than him or younger than him? If you answered yes to the first question, then you're right because whatever age you are, you're all the same age as Simeon in this story because this could happen to anybody. Can we relate to him? Yeah. Are we still waiting for the Messiah? Or is he already here? Did you meet him yesterday or Christmas Eve? Did he pass by unseen? Or maybe he hasn't come yet. All of these questions. How did Simeon know what the Messiah would look like? Oh, he could have come to him as an old man. He could have come as a grown man or even a teenager or a baby. Now, it's very possible that the Holy Spirit revealed how he would be coming. So there are many questions we could ask Simeon and Anna too. Was she just waiting for Simeon's cue before she came out? Did she recognize the, the Messiah too? Did she just happen to be there? Uh, we don't know. But Luke 
was writing primarily to Greek Christians and seekers. And so we wonder why did he include this story in the, in the gospel? What was he trying to say to them about this ageless man and this elderly woman? Well, there's three reasons, possibly. One is to provide testimony to the divinity of Christ. Among other things in this gospel, to, to provide this one, one more testimony. After all, that was his purpose in writing the gospel in the first place, as he tells us at the very beginning, <clears throat> many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. He wanted Theophilus and all of the other Greek Christians to know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke, was, who was not one of the original disciples, would not likely have met Jesus in the flesh, but we not totally sure about that. But he wanted to make sure he got it right. Therefore, he decided to write an orderly account after having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So how would he have heard the story of Simeon and Anna from probably the best witness possible? Mary, Jesus' mother, who was probably the only one living at the time who knew the story of Jesus and had lived it right from the beginning. Tradition has it that she moved to Ephesus with the Apostle John and very likely could have met Luke there. If you look closely, much of the first two chapters of Luke are composed of testimony that very likely came from Mary. But let's get back to Simeon, the mystery man, whose only claim to fame is that he was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And there can be no doubt, the Spirit pointed out to him this child who was being carried in by his parents and said, yes, this is the one. And he went running up in his excitement. He took him in his arms. Imagine what Joseph and Mary thought. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? He's grabbing our child from us and he's shouting and... and uh, all excited. You know, again, Luke leaves us in the dark as to who Simeon really was. He could, yeah, he could have been a priest, but Luke probably would have mentioned that fact. He was likely an ordinary Joe or an ordinary Simeon from off the street. You know, maybe, maybe he was a, a merchant or a, or a laborer or a teacher or a tradesman or, or something, but all we know is that he was righteous and devout and that he was sensitive to the movement and prodding of the Holy Spirit. That other stuff, Luke says, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to us. What matters is that when Simeon saw Jesus, he recognized him as the long-awaited Messiah. He saw a baby, took him in his arms, and he praised God. He saw the Messiah, and he praised God for keeping his promise 
to him. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. No matter what happened now, no matter what his life was like after that, he could die in peace. He has seen the Messiah, and he prophesies about him. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. He has seen the Messiah, and he's also seen Mary. And his words to Mary, well, probably made her wonder. They probably weren't very comforting. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. In the message, Eugene Peterson puts it as, will force honesty as God reveals who they really are. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Don't you wonder how Mary felt at having these words spoken to her? I mean, the Holy Spirit obviously gave Simeon these words. I wonder if he understood what they meant. Or was he just as puzzled as Mary and Joseph? We, looking back at, in, in, at that time, have the wonderful benefit of having the, the whole gospel, the ensuing history, in print for us to read. And we can look at this passage and we can equate it to some of the events in Jesus' life and even to the crucifixion. But Simeon, Mary, Joseph probably just wondered, what does this mean? And as Simeon was speaking, Anna came up. She too understand who Jesus was and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Another reason Luke included the story might have been to teach the patience and trust that are, well, shouldn't be sometimes, probably often, required when waiting for God to move in their lives, in our lives. While he was writing this gospel, most of the church was eagerly awaiting the return of Christ, as he had promised. And some of them, no doubt, were beginning to get a little impatient. You know, this was nigh on 30 years or more after the resurrection, and maybe they were starting to question their faith. Sometimes we do get impatient, don't we? How many of us would list our favorite pastime as standing in line or waiting for something? No hands, no hands. <laughs> I didn't think so. John Ortberg, who wrote a great little book with a ridiculously long title called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. He talked to us about waiting. Waiting is not just something we do while we get what we want. It's part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. While Simeon waited for the Messiah, he allowed God to make him into the man he wanted him to be, righteous and devout and sensitive to the movement and prodding of the Holy Spirit. I can imagine that Simeon may have been young when he received this promise. You know, young and full of impatience and energy, great, let's go do it. 
But the spirit had a better idea. He made him wait. We forget that his work in us while we wait is as important as what it is we think we are waiting for. Waiting on the Lord is a continual daily decision to say, I will trust you and I will obey you. Even though the circumstances of my life are not turning out the way I want them to, it may never turn out the way I would choose. I am betting everything on you. I have no plan B. Have you ever been there? Where nothing is turning out the way you want it to? And you wish there was a plan B? Simeon bet everything on God. He had no plan B, so he waited. Which brings us to possibly the third reason that Luke may have included the story in his, in his gospel. Because both Simeon and Anna were sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. They were always listening to the Spirit to speak to them. They could have just as easily got on with their lives and ignored the words of the Spirit as probably many of their fellow citizens did. But they were listening and open. In their impatience, they could have made themselves believe it really wasn't God who spoke to them. Why should I waste my life waiting? But they didn't. They were very sensitive to the Spirit. They waited eagerly for the Spirit's words. They were tuned in to the Spirit. Not only were they tuned in, but because of their trust in God, they were willing to listen and be guided by the Spirit. They gladly allowed the Spirit to direct their lives. John Hartberg again. When we wait for something, we recognize we are not in control. When you stand in a line waiting for that line to move, you're not in control. When you're waiting for medical test results, you're not in control. When you wait for a grandchild to be born, ah, you're not in control. Maybe when you wait for a loved one to pass, you're not in control. While they waited, Simeon and Anna allowed God's Spirit to control their lives. Their trust was such that they are willing to wait for God's timing. Is that something that we do? Do we really allow the Spirit to control our lives? Do we wait for His timing? Are we willing to do that? Is it something that we can do? Do we, do we even think we can do that? How many of us struggle with the, with the very idea of being able to, to allow God's Spirit to control our lives? And then, is it something we want to do? Or do our own desires and needs deafen us to the voice of the Spirit of God? If you read my story in a storyteller, you know I spent an hour sitting at the bedside of an unresponsive lady who was only a few hours away from passing away. After all the Russian concerns of my every day, and that was a busy week, God had my attention now. I'm not saying that he actually spoke words to me, but he put me in a situation where I had stopped 
rushing and just sat still, unwillingly, really, for, for about an hour as I sat with this lady. But I was still. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. That is what I knew as I sat with that lady, that he was my God. And he changed me, just a little bit, but enough for now. I'm still waiting for him to do the rest, make the rest of the changes in me. Do we read the testimonies of Simeon and Anna and believe as, as Luke wanted his people to believe? Do we truly trust God's promises to us? Do we really listen to his spirit? Do we really recognize that we are not in control and that the only true life is the one that is controlled by the Holy Spirit? Or are we just getting on with our lives? The answers to these questions make a huge difference in who we are. And that is the point of this exam, to seek the answers to all of the above questions from the only one who has them, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your word is amazing. Maybe it's sometimes a little uh, making us wonder. But still, when we consider it, when we consider who you are to us, your words are the words of life. So Lord, may we take your words this morning and may we live them out as Simeon and Anna did. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Raise your hands for the benediction. I can't think of a better one for this time of year than the Apostle Paul's writing in Romans 15, 13. It's on the back of your, of your bulletin when you take it home. You can read it. But this is what his blessing is. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace with the blessing of Christmas and the hope of the new year. Amen. Amen.